Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to what is going to be a fantastic show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror, Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all of which, volumes one through nine, are available at Amazon in paperback and ebook. And for you audio buffs, joggers, bike riders, and the like, one through eight are av- available in audio format at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So please go out, don't be a tightwad, and buy a book or two. And now, May I introduce you to my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Okay. And just, you know, to inform our listeners, maybe they're new to the broadcast, this is real-time radio, my friends. (laughs) And in that light, I have to apologize. Kev, I'm getting my new partial denture on Thursday. Oh, why are you apologizing? Because no more lisping on the microphone and uh, strange misspeaks due to uh, lack of choppers. <laughs> well, I, I have all my choppers, and I still lisp and misspeak. So don't get your hopes up too high. <laughs> I've been getting real. You know, most people wouldn't admit to that, but I don't care. And uh, I'll be so happy. To get this uh, thing installed with jackhammers, crowbars, whatever they got to do on Thursday. You have no idea. There you go. So uh, here's to it. I wonder if you think Bigfoot could get a partial denture? I was going to say, make sure you take him out before you have a hockey fight (laughs) with Bigfoot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, so I mean life. You know, what are you going to do? Things happen. And uh, that happened to me, so thank God we have the uh, the uh, dental facilities that we do today to uh, bring about such change, you know. So we'll be improving the quality of the broadcast just by you getting your teeth fixed? Is that what you're That's saying? That's correct. That wow. is correct. That's, That's right. And good. I can now, I'm better able to bite people uh, <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if I feel led to do so. You know, I should have had to make this portion with a couple of, like, weird-looking fangs. I was going to say, you should have went with, like, uh, stainless steel. Kind of <laughs> like Jaws from James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been great, you know? <laughs> this way, when you run into Bigfoot, you just kind of smile at him and go, eh. 
You know, actually, I bet you I could have done it. They would have balked at it. Like, what are you doing? What do you want to do? But I Come just on, don't have the. You're up on Long Island in New York. You won't be the first one to get stainless steel teeth. <laughs> <laughs> or I could be one of those characters that gets like a couple of gold ones, like right in the middle, you know? I was going to say, you'll be the first one that gets stainless steel without diamonds in them. oh man i could never understand that but you know people do weird things man hey well so what do you got tonight bro in the cryptids in the news and other oddities segment so we are going to go back and talk about a subject that we talked about more than a hundred episodes ago which is hard to believe but wow that's what i checked on and it is the skinwalker and, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the main reason why I want to talk about the Skinwalker is to also tie it into the last few episodes of, you know, one of my favorite shows, which is Skinwalker Ranch. And I know you like it as well. And it's starting to wind up for the season. We're not quite there yet, but I'll tell you what, every episode is more interesting than the next. And I don't know, honestly, if I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid. So I'm interested to hear from our audience to see if they like it as well. Uh, or if they're skeptical about it and they think a lot of this stuff is staged. Because when I watch it, you know, in contrast to some of the Bigfoot shows, some of the Bigfoot shows, um, this just is compelling to me, this Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, so Kev, I, I read into your statement that you don't believe that this is staged. I don't, but, you know, I yeah. could be biting hook, line, and sinker, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I uh, to be honest with you, I don't believe it's staged at all either. Yeah, and and don't forget, uh, Bigelow Aerospace before this fellow, this real estate fellow, uh, bought the property, uh, they invested a lot of time and effort in conjunction with some governmental agencies, uh, examining that property very yeah. much in light in light of what they're doing right now. Again, only top secret and not on television, and that was. 20 years that uh, Robert Bigelow owned that property. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time to run an investigation. Yeah. And it's kind of cool where you see some of the folks coming on the show now that were working for Robert Bigelow on the ranch then. And they're starting to open up about what they saw. And it kind of ties off to what they're seeing today. Yeah. How about that colonel that came in a couple of episodes again that was intricately involved uh, and what was going on there. And he brought him to that spot and showed him in the trees uh, by the old homestead where they saw this thing coming across. He was speaking as though it was like Predator in the Arnold yes. Schwarzenegger movie. Yes. And, uh, I mean, that's that guy's nobody's fool. No, and they talk about it. You know, when you read about it, it's like this black cloak of darkness in the broad daylight that comes out of there at the homestead that they saw like holy cow what a creep fest kev you think about that how about 20 years investigating what is basically a wide open piece of property 400 acres 20 years to investigate a 400 acre lot yeah 500 acres by the way 512 acres Okay, still, that's not that big to spend 20 years looking into. No, well, I think of how many tax dollars probably went into funding that as well, because it was somehow tied to the government, right? Yeah, yeah, very, very, 
not likely anybody is going to spend that type of time or effort into a fluke. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and what's really weird is, you know, prior to Bigelow buying it in 1996, then, you know, as the farm is named, if you don't hear it called Skinwalker Ranch, you'll hear it referred to as Sherman Ranch or Sherman mm-hmm. Farm. And uh, they bought it in 1994 and only made it two years with all the strangeness that was going on there. Yeah. Uh, can you uh, re-up uh, or reiterate what some of those strange happenings were during their two years? I will. I will. And we'll, we'll back up even a little bit further than that into skinwalkers themselves. Um, okay. But what's really interesting, when I was looking at the ownership thread, so you got... The, Terry and Gwen Sherman, who owned it for two years. And prior to that, the original owners or the owners that are listed going back to 1934 to 1994, so 60 years, was Kenneth and Edith Myers. So how the heck did they live there for 60 years? Yeah, they must have liked trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. With the activity going on there on a basically day, basically a day to day, a week to week basis, right. I wouldn't spend sixty years there. Yeah, and I think what's most interesting about this, Bill, the whole ranch and everything else, is you know the name of it is Skinwalker Ranch, and we're going to talk a little bit about Skinwalkers, but really, it's the you know what's going on there isn't really about Skinwalkers at this point, right? It's there's something of high strangeness that seems to be related to UAPs, seems to be related to, you know, uh, some type of way that the land or something in the sky above it is broadcasting, you know, at this 1.6 gigahertz frequency whenever anything goes wrong. And some type of like almost uh, electromagnetic interference that just blows up any type of... uh, instrumentation or experiment that they set up there. Yeah, and it seems to be damaging to certain human beings at times Absolutely as well. Absolutely, that too. You know, radiation Radioact- spikes. Uh, and, yeah. But yeah. almost random, and or not not really random, it does seem to be whenever they're screwing around. Uh, of course, they talk about digging and how that disturbs things. And, you know, yeah. when they broadcast the frequency, it seems to broadcast back. You know, right. when they shoot something... In this area above what they call a triangle at 5,000 feet above sea level or about 3,000 feet above the ranch, all strangeness breaks loose. Yeah, you know, in in the last episode, I'm not going to interrupt you because I know you'll get back to it. This last one that I saw with those large, rather advanced-looking rockets they shot, uh now, look, those guys seem to be like experts in rocketry. And I find it really hard to believe that two rockets, one blows up on the launch pad, the other one starts its ascent and makes a hard right angle flying out over the countryside. When there's I mean, no wind. Right, no wind. Uh, how do these guys not plan for that. Are we saying they built two faulty rockets and brought them there with them? Yeah, I don't think so. By the way, if the folks haven't seen the episode yet, that first rocket was 15 feet tall and 12 inches in diameter. Yeah. 
And they had to yeah. they had to get special permission to make the whole area above the ranch a no fly zone. You yeah. know, controlled airspace like the military would do, so that yeah. they didn't uh, you know the rockets didn't hit anything. Yeah, and that thing basically blew up like five feet off the launch pad. Exactly. They they said the the top seal, you know, in the rocket blew out uh, as a safety feature, and it destroyed all the in- instrumentation, basically. Yeah, but yeah. Completely wild, yeah. And then the second one, go ahead, tell, tell them what happened with the second rocket. Yeah, so, the, so they had these three super high-powered lasers that were shining up at a slight angle of one another so that they would meet at exactly 3,000 feet above the ranch. So, you know, you got like a pyramid of three lasers, basically. And they were trying to shoot it up right through the center of the pyramid, um, which is not that hard for these rocket scientists to do, right? You know, getting to your point. And they were going to put out some powder out of the rocket as it went up. And then they also had a fourth laser that would kind of uh, be scanning, you know, almost like you see in a light show, like shining back and forth uh, so that it would hit the the powder and illuminate the powder if the powder kind of formed around something that was, you know, cloaked and blocking uh, the lasers or the rocket from getting up there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and of course the powder and stuff didn't go out, um, so they never got to do that. And then when the second rocket went up, it it went around that area at the top of the uh, the pyramid of laser where they think there is <laughs> some type of blocking uh, object. Yeah, amazing. I mean, and that's it's the thing same just thing. Like up. that same area was where, if you remember, when they were flying the helicopter over there. Um, the helicopter's uh, collision avoidance system went off and said that there was a, a physical object like 20 feet below it yeah. when it flew across that area, which is, you know, how does that happen unless there's something there and they didn't see That's anything. Right. And then the other one was when they were throwing those GPSs out of uh, the plane. You remember that, Bill, with the streamers yes, yeah. on them? Yep, yep. And then they analyzed the data, and, like, the stuff went all over the place except where they wanted it to go. And, again, right. there was no wind. Right. And some of them went against the flow they should have flown in and went the other way. Right. And, I mean, some of, the, some of those GPS markers were a mile or two away from where they should have landed. Exactly. And I mean, not only that, some of the GPS markers, when they analyzed them, showed that they went under the ground. Yeah. What's it? <laughs> and miles. But yeah. Like, how weird is this stuff? So, again, yeah. you know, I got on this talking about this in this last episode um, because it's not really about skinwalkers anymore. You know, despite the name, but the skinwalkers represent a high level of strangeness, but the high level of strangeness has gone, you know, exponentially toward the sky and towards uh, within the mesa on this ranch. Yeah, yeah. Now, Kev, uh, just a little bit about what is the history behind the skinwalker there between those, uh, the Indian tribes? Yeah, so the, the Navajo and the Utes. Uh, not to be confused with the youths from my cousin Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just a couple of youths. <laughs> with the youth, the youth Indians. I'm not making fun of the Indians. I'm making fun of uh, uh, Fred Gwynn from my cousin Vinny, his character. <laughs> just to be clear here. 
Yeah, um, yeah. So the Ute Indians and the Navajo um, kind of were friends for a long time. And then it turns out that the uh, Utes started to go against the Navajo and actually uh, uh, started to capture uh, the Navajo uh, and Navajo people and sell them in a new, into the New Mexico slave markets. So the Utes would capture and abduct Navajo people and then sell them as slaves. And this boy, is important oh because the Navajo people had a really strong belief in what they called skinwalkers, mm-hmm. um, where the Utes, you know, didn't didn't uh, um, have this this tradition, but the Utes were definitely respectful and afraid of this concept of skinwalkers. Mm-hmm. And skinwalkers basically were believed to be uh, shape-shifting people, uh, and they were basically uh, medicine people that went the wrong way. So kind mm-hmm. of instead of having an oath to help everyone with their, with their skills or gifts or whatever you want to call them, they actually went to the dark side and did evil things and became a skinwalker. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so a lot of the belief in this area where the the Navajo and the Utes lived side by side on this ranch is that when the Utes started to go against the Navajo and especially when they started to abduct them and sell them into slavery and all kinds of awful things like that, that the Navajo put a curse on the Utes and this land that became Mm -hmm. Skinwalker Ranch with, uh, you know, these skinwalkers that would come out of nowhere. Yeah, Kevin, you may recall, uh, I think it was in the first season of the Blind Frog Ranch. Yep. Uh, up the road, and you, you went to Basin, where there's also high strangers. Yeah, pretty going close on. by. Pretty close by. They were chasing something through the brush in that one little canyon or valley. Yep. And they took a camera <laughs> shot of that footprint they found. And. It didn't look entirely like a Bigfoot track, but let's just say it was a big, strange-looking footprint. Yeah, and they also had the footage on that show of, uh, like, on one of the trail cams of, like, that person that looked like they were possessed, right? Yeah, that was unbelievable. Did you see that guy arching backwards and his mouth open, his arms laying down at his side? Yeah, now to me though, when I saw that, because they have people, you know, the, the, we're we're shifting shows here. We're not shape shifting, but we're shifting shows. Yeah. But on that show, um, the Mystery of Blind Frog Ranch, they also have people that are trying to scare them away and take their claim. So when I yeah, first saw yeah. that, it was definitely high strangeness. But I was thinking maybe that was somebody acting like that, so that they'd catch it on the trail cam and scare. The people mm. that own the Blind Frog Ranch. Of course, it didn't work that way. But that was just my takeaway. Yeah, yeah. I well, I tell you what, think that, that dude didn't look like he he was acting. He looked like he got caught in a tractor beam on Star Trek or something. <laughs> he did. He did. He looked like I don't know why he wasn't falling over backwards. That's yeah. why he what he looked like to me. Absolutely, absolutely. You know. Uh, wow, but I mean, there is some really wild. So get back to the uh, the family that owned the yeah, property the for two so years. The Shermans had uh, they were raising cattle there for the two years that they were 
on uh, on the ranch there, and um, they lost something like twenty percent of their cattle in that two year period. But they didn't just die of like diseases and sickness and stuff like that. They started to see like you know massive amounts of brutal cattle mutilation mm. on the property, you know, and then they wow. also saw like shadow people or like shadow figures inside their house, right, in homestead and, wow. and heard all kinds of weird things and saw things that looked like a skinwalker, which, by the way, often looked like a, a wolf or a dire wolf. Yeah. Right. And Mr. Sherman, in fact, has a very vivid account of where he saw this red eyed, dire wolf like creature and, you know, threw uh, uh, quite a few chunks of lead into the beast and the beast didn't even blink. Yeah. You know, yeah. Kind of clearly showing that it was some kind of supernatural demonic thing. And when when he emptied his revolver, I believe it was, at that thing, wasn't it still chomping at one of his animals through a fence or something? Yeah, I didn't see that part, but it could be. Could certainly yeah. be. But it was basically looking right at him while he was... Banging you know, away. Banging away at it. Definitely hitting yeah. it, and the animal didn't even flinch. It's unbelievable, man. And then, you know, back to Skinwalker Ranch, in the early episodes, you remember they had those... Llamas, I think they were alpaca. Oh, that that was horrible to watch. Yeah, where like that shape shifting creature, or what appeared to be a shape shifting creature, went into the pen and ripped ripped that one apart. Yeah, and that was legit. That thing was really torn up, torn up and scared. You know, like crazy. Yeah. I remember when that vet came in and was stitching them up. You know. Yeah. And you could see that thing just darting around and the llama going tra- crazy, trying to get away as it was ripping at it, you know? Yep, yep. Oh, my God, that was freaky. Yeah, so, you know, these these skinwalkers, shape-shifting creatures, a little bit uh, like the Rougarou <laughs> or Dogman or something like that. I mean, maybe, maybe these Dogman encounters are something like a skinwalker as well. Who knows? Yeah, there's something really freaky-deaky about the dog man, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, that That's not like Bigfoot is normal, but Bigfoot compared to dog man is normal. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that is one weird, you know, uh, wolf man, whatever it is, man. That is one nasty-looking thing, man. Yeah. And these, these things, you know, these skinwalkers, they say... They most frequently take the form of wolves, coyotes, foxes, eagles, owls, or crows. Right. Um, and they say that some can also steal the face of different people, so therefore they could trick you and appear as someone you know. Yeah, yeah. I heard a Native American interviewed once uh, who was saying, you know, they will many times— uh, appear as your like let's just say your grandmother yeah in voice and in appearance right. to lure you away uh, and then they get to jump on you and you disappear yeah and you know these there's a there's a fair amount known about these skinwalkers but what's really interesting you know they come out of the Navajo people and the Navajo people don't like to talk about them at all 
because yeah. it's such an evil phenomenon, right? Again, it's yeah. a, like a shaman or medicine person that goes to the dark side and becomes a skinwalker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they really uh, they really feel like it's just bad to even speak of them. Exactly, especially among not among non Navajo people. Yeah, yeah. Very so you know, I, right. I said though, like things are changing on Skinwalker Ranch, where it started out being about Skinwalkers, and then a couple episodes, Bill, I'm sure you saw it, where they were drilling into the mesa, and yeah. they started to hit what they think is a 400 foot wide dome shaped object. Yeah. With the drill, and then they got these metal flake samples, pretty large. You know, some of them a yeah. couple of inches across. They yep. sent yep. them to the university for testing, and it's some type of rare earth superconducting metals that are actually fused together in an unnatural right. way. And you heard what that professor said that did was part of the examination about them. Yeah, he yeah. said they're similar, similar to what we use on the space shuttle. Exactly, on the, the tiles. tiles of the space shuttle. I mean, come on, man. Where did that come from? Exactly. And what is it doing buried in that mesa under a pile of rubble? Yeah. On Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. So wow. then, finally, right in the last episode that we saw, you know, Dr. Travis and the gang, they're, they're messing around over there at the mesa after this drilling episode, you know, the week prior. And all of a sudden, the ground starts to rumble like a little mini earthquake. And mm-hmm. Travis sees the UAP. And they go back and look at the video. You saw that, right? And they, yeah, they yeah. see this spherical and translucent orb that looked like it was leaving the mesa. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't empirical proof what he was seeing, but it sure did look like it was coming from ground level and going up in a flash. Well, and I thought what was really interesting was, you know, real time, he heard the rumble and then he thought he saw something flash by. And because right. of all the instrumentation there, he could go back to, uh, I forget the gentleman's name, you know, the, the measurement equipment guy. Uh, mm-hmm. And give them the time where it happened, and they could pull up the camera, and they saw it just for maybe one or two frames. The thing was moving yeah. so quickly. And folks, if you've never seen this uh, show, uh, these dudes are hooked up on this ranch with some really high tech surveillance equipment. Yeah, and uh, they're picking up just about everything and anything that moves. Uh, on that property, above ground, at ground level, uh, there's some strange, strange stuff going on there, and they're getting it. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there'll be naysayers out there that say it's all stage, it's all baloney. I, and I uh, want to hear from them. You know, I I like to hear both sides. You know me, Bill. I'm yeah. I'm a bit of a scientist, and it's like I I want to hear the other argument. I, I I just sit there, and I haven't spent a lot of time googling all the counter views and stuff, but it just feels pretty authentic. And, you know, this guy, Travis, the physicist, who who I like a lot, like he's the straight man that showed up. I told you, I think on the last episode, he showed up in the news being hired by this big, you know, uh, space research firm uh, very recently, you know, so that's looking into alternative, uh, um, you know, uh, transportation methods for for spacecraft, yeah, which is yeah. pretty interesting. Like, what what did they discover? 
Yeah, well, he's got his head screwed on straight, that guy, and he seems to be uh, as baffled as everybody else at what exactly is going on. Uh, he's You could tell he's struggling to wrap his mind around what they're seeing. Yeah, and he's the natural skeptic, I think, in the crowd, you know, being well, the not anymore. PhD <laughs> rocket scientist. Yeah, I don't think he's a skeptic anymore. Now, we, now he's on... <laughs> He's on a mission to figure out what is going on. Yeah, well, I think they've probably seen between 10 and 20 bona fide UAPs while they're out there. Yeah, and everything else that's going on. With no, the, I know, but I mean, uh, like, they also, they they have the uh, radar tracking all of the aircraft and the transponders that are broadcasting on the aircraft real time. So then when they see something, they can see if it's on the radar or not. And yeah. if it's an aircraft, I mean, you know, you never really see tying of those two together other than, yeah. you know, when the Tic Tac incident with the military and we'll never know exactly what happened there, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but super cool. I mean, and of course, the guy funding all of this cool stuff out there is this I don't know if he's a billionaire or what, but this real estate mogul, uh, Brandon Fugel. Which, by the way, on the lighter side, Bill, does he sound like a robot or potentially an alien? <laughs> I'm not kidding. He sounds like synthesized speech, right? You know, it's like, thanks for coming together, guys. Yeah. I'm yeah, very, very pro- anxious to hear <laughs> what you have in store for us. So <laughs> like a black-eyed my- child. <laughs> Yeah, Brandon, if you're out there, we'd love to hear from your brother. Yeah, I mean, uh, Brandon may show up knocking on your door, Bill, saying, <laughs> do you mind if I borrow your telephone? <laughs> Anybody shows up at my door acting like that, it's going to get jacked up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll start with like a flying drop kick. <laughs> Landing them in the freaking driveway. And then bite them with your new stainless steel choppers. <laughs> uh, wow, that's good stuff, Kim. So we're going to end there for uh, today. with our- We're going to end there. So, you know, folks, they're not a sponsor of our podcast or anything like that. I just think this is some good TV and pretty interesting Good stuff to read about, too. So check it out again. Contact us, too, at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com under the Contact <laughs> Us tab and tell us what you think. You know, what do you think of this show? What do you think it's made up? You know, if there's some other scientists out there and have a good explanation, let us know. I'm all ears. Mm-hmm. And uh, to go along with what was a great Cryptids in the News segment, Kev, uh, this is a pretty wild Uh, account Uh, you know uh, what was it a few weeks back probably more than a few weeks back we revisited the uh, Rougarou uh, appearing under the thunderclaps through the window of that house on stilts and uh, this is pretty much coming from the same area I'm not talking about around the corner but uh from Louisiana. So listen to this. This was this following account was brought to my attention by Henri LaRouge, a one-time resident of Slidell, Louisiana, who now lives in Tallahassee, Florida. 
And this is what Henri and his group saw in 1993. At that time in my life, I was the co-leader of a boys' club in my community. There were quite a few young men whose fathers had flown the coop or whose mothers had had them out of wedlock in our surrounding area. And we were providing a venue for young men to get together with some big brother or fatherly figures in their lives. The boys were very much appreciative of what we were doing, and on many occasions we planned some type of outing for the day, which on this particular day happened to be running around the swamp in some John boats. There was hardly a house in the area at the time that didn't have, at the very least, one of these little tin boats. And we had brought four of them with the boys via pickup trucks and vans down by the swamp to launch. We had one 12-footer and three 14-foot boats at our disposal, all of which were fairly lightweight, being made of aluminum, and they were easily slid in and out of the pickup truck's beds. Upon arriving at the launch site, I and two other young men, with the assistance of the boys, slid the boats into the water in preparation for the day's activities. Now, just to set the stage for you, this place was on the extreme edge of what you would call rural. Most of the houses in the area would be called shacks by the majority of Americans, with very few inhabitants living in the surrounding area. Simply put, it meant that if you got in trouble around these parts, you were indeed in trouble with no help available. We weren't going far, and the boats were equipped with electric motors and car batteries, using oars as a backup if we needed them. Our plan was to do an exploratory stint for a few hours to check out some of the critters in the swamp. And believe me, there are more than a few critters in the swamp. For the first 45 minutes or so, the young men were a little rambunctious, but then things started to calm down. We were slowly meandering around, pointing out a variety of birds and things with the men and boys in the boats discussing what we were seeing, when we decided to take a slight detour into the trees and more flooded areas of the swamp. We were negotiating the trees and passages through these flooded woodlands when one of the boys said, Mr. La Rouge, what is that over there? There are many things in here which swim in the water, including alligators, But this was no alligator as far as I was concerned. We were all well-focused on it, and to me, it appeared to be a head and shoulders moving through the water, but of what I had no idea. I had seen everything that the swamp had to offer as far as aquatic creatures went, but I had never seen anything the likes of what we were looking at. I was thinking for a moment that it was the head and shoulders of perhaps a very large deer, but that was just a passing thought. 
I say this because it really didn't remind me of anything, but my mind couldn't accept what I was seeing. It seemed to be the upper body of something enormous that was actually walking in the water up to its shoulders. We couldn't see any hands or arms. If they were there, they were submerged as whatever this was seemed to be walking up to its neck in the water. The more I focused on it, the more I was convinced it was an enormous pair of shoulder muscles tapering up to about ear level on a head that we were now seeing. Sound familiar, folks? No sooner had the thought registered than did the notion of this thing being the Honey Island Swamp Monster came into my mind. Everything that I have just told you took place in maybe 30 or 40 seconds when suddenly this thing was coming out of the water as it was now entering a more shallow area heading into the cypress. Within about 10 seconds, it had taken possibly three strides and was now fully exposed, walking away into the trees. Everyone, and I do mean everyone, was dead silent as we watched this massive monster walk. Turning its head slightly, it looked our way without missing a step, and then quite literally, it disappeared into the trees and hanging moss. I saw it come in and out of view maybe four or five times as it did so, and it was gone. Our jaws were agape as we looked at each other and then back in the direction it had walked out of view. And we then began to talk. All who had heard of the monster were in full agreement that this was what we had just seen. And it's far for those in the group who hadn't, well, they were now believers as the rest of us were. At the moment when we had first seen it, the group was exceptionally quiet. And with the electric motors humming along, we were actually moving at a pretty good clip through the calm waters. We had obviously caught this thing unaware as it was navigating a deep trough to get where it was going. I don't believe that it would have trapped itself in deep water had it seen us beforehand. When it emerged from the water, it was covered in soaking wet, long hair that clung to the form of its huge, apparently muscle-bound body. The monster was all of at least seven feet tall and was able to cover ground very quickly and quietly as it slipped into the trees and out of our sight. What do you think of that, Kev? That pretty is bizarre, pretty huh? wild. I mean, first of all, running into anything in the swamp is creepy. And uh, yeah. seeing that thing walking along in the swamp. Oh. Yeah. I think he was spot on when he said because of their stealthiness in his boats with the electric motors, uh, if they were quiet for a little bit, I think he's correct in that this thing would have would not have compromised uh, 
it's it's safety or its uh, ability to move quickly by being up to its neck in water. Yeah, no, they they snuck up on it, which, by the way, isn't a good thing sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not if it turns. Not if it gets out of one and starts throwing tree trunks at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not if it's like eight feet tall or however tall it was. Well, you know what, man? That that you know, like when I watch, uh, what's that show where they shoot the alligators? Oh yeah, oh, Swamp Man or something like that. Swamp monsters or something. Yeah. Anyways, when you see where these guys are, I mean, there's nobody around. Oh no, uh, you could easily imagine. Anything being in there. Uh, and if you were in there and something just came out, what are you going to do, man? You know, just throttle it up and get the heck out of there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. No, thank yeah, you. At, le- at least those guys have rifle. rifle and it's swamp monsters. At least those guys have uh, uh, rifles on board where they can defend themselves, you know? Yeah, I still don't like swimming around and get bitten by a... Uh, Water moccasin or something. No, the gators no are way. the least of your problems to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a you can. But keep I'm not that. a snake lover, as you know. Yeah, I don't think many people are snake lovers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a snake I mean? hater, folks. <laughs> hey, it's just a nice little snake. I'm like Indiana Jones. Anything but ah. snakes. Yeah, right. Remember that. Anything Why did it have snakes? to be snakes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the worst scenario. <laughs> yeah, so that's it, man. Just another incredible... Uh, and they're calling it... Uh, their belief it was that it was, in fact, a Honey Island swamp monster, as they know it. Yeah. Uh, so, to me, it's just another Bigfoot, you know? Yeah. But... Uh, like we were saying many weeks ago and have said many times in the past, there's different names for this creature. The Ohio Grassman, you know, the names are very much localized based on the history of the sightings and whatever they decided to call it, you know? Yeah. No, well, no doubt about it. The Ohio Howler. Ooh. <laughs> Momo. Uh, yeah, there's another one, Momo. Missouri Monster. Oh, my good old goodness. Momo. Well, that's it, Kev. That's uh, a good one, Bill. Good creep yeah. fest with the Honey Island Swamp Monster in the swamps of <laughs> Louisiana. Yeah. There are plenty of swamps down there, too, man. That Henry LaRouge. I thought his name was going to be Henry Arugaru. <laughs> Henri. Henri Henri. Henri LaRouge. <laughs> <laughs> Say it like you mean it, s'il vous plaît. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we got some great listener mail this week, Bill. I just wanted to interrupt. Yeah. Do you remember the French-speaking skunk in the cartoons? Pepe Le Pew. Pepe Le Pew. (laughs) Ah, mon chéri. Your eyes look like the moon in the sky. I want to kiss you. <laughs> what a character. Tell me those guys weren't half jacked up when they were recording those things. They were man. definitely laughing their butts off between the uh, scenes. 
Oh, my goodness. Well, let's see. What do we got in our list of mail, bro? Yeah, we got some good uh, good emails that came in. The first one from Rob in South Carolina. And All he right. says, hello from the beautiful port city of Georgetown, South Carolina. He mm-hmm. says, Bill and KJ, I look forward to and enjoy every episode of Bigfoot Terror in the Woods. But this past week's show literally hit close to home. As I was traveling to the airport in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, I tuned into your podcast. And believe it or not, when you, KJ, were telling your gray man account, your gray man segment, I was right in the heart of Pauly's Island. What are the odds of that happening? Thanks for all of the great stories and informative news, Rob. Pretty interesting, huh? That's wild. So, folks, if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, we were talking about the gray man of Paulie's Island. And here yeah. Rob is driving across Paulie's Island while he's listening to that episode. <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah. You know, and really, even though our listeners are miles, thousands, thousands of miles apart, there's somebody who knows something or lives in the backyard of a story that we're telling. Yeah. So we're looking at it from afar, and then somebody chimes in and says, hey, dudes, that place is a half a mile from my house. You know, so somebody is there or somebody knows something about uh, the venues that we speak of, and we, yeah. we need for you to chime in with us. Yeah. Wow. And by the way, speaking of listeners that are miles and miles away, our next email comes from Rod from Australia. Ah, from Oz. And the subject is, yeah, we. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite cryptids who happens to live down under with a very cool name. Yeah. (laughs) And Rod writes, hi, gentlemen. I love the podcast. And bought an Audible book after after listening to Bill on Sasquatch Chronicles. Outstanding. I live <laughs> just west of Brisbane. I pronounced that correctly, folks. It's not Brisbane. Brisbane. Brisbane, say it like you mean it. <laughs> I've been there. It's beautiful. And I'm a security <laughs> officer at a defense base. I tell everyone I have the best job in the world. Seven days on, seven days off with 12-hour shifts. This allows me to spend a bit of time out in the bush on walkabouts. (laughs) I've experienced three yowie encounters here in southeast Queensland and May of last year in the Pelija, I don't know how to say that, looks like Pelija, culminating in my wife Karen citing one as it came into our camp on our first night there for a week-long camping trip to the Salt Caves at the Pelija. Huh. Feel free to contact me. Love to tell you about it, boys. I was lucky enough to be on the base when our F-111s were flying low and rattling those windows. And also, by the way, Paula is in our prayers. Rod from Oz. Awesome. And by the way, Rod and folks, keep praying for Paula. Just keep lifting her up in prayer. I actually reached out to Rod, and I asked him, like, you know, 
what the time difference is, and I asked him if he used the WhatsApp or what's oh, what is it called WhatsApp 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 because you know I could talk to you, we could talk together, Rod, free on WhatsApp if we just get together uh, on a time and date, and we could just chat it up. Uh, uh, Using that app on our phones, so yeah, it's like twelve. I think it's twelve hours to us. Okay, yeah. I Something mean, but like if that. he gets, if he, if he would get back to me, I'd love to hear what yep. he has to say. But we'd have to do it that way. Otherwise, it'd be a three hundred dollar phone call. Yep, or Skype, like we're doing this now. Or Skype. Skype right, is also right. free. Yeah. So either way, uh, get back to me, and we could book a time. And just uh, chat it up about what it is you saw. I'd love to talk to you. Yeah. Very cool, Kev. I'll see. Another yeah, super cool. And I think we'll cut it off there, Bill, for this week's episode. Great episode. Good chatting about Skinwalkers and the Skinwalker Ranch. And, of yeah. course, the Honey Island Swamp Monster. <laughs> I'll tell you, man. And, folks, you know, if you should find yourself... Electric motoring along in a John boat in the swamps of Louisiana. You best remember what these people apparently forgot. Always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight. <laughs>